we this summer want to take some of the key questions that you guys have about the Bible, about Christianity, about faith, and we want to answer them from a biblical lens. And so if you're taking notes, I hope that you are, go ahead and get your notes, go ahead and get your Bible. If you don't have your Bible, you can use the app. But I want to give you what tonight's question is that Emily talked about at the very beginning. I want you to write that down at the top of your notes. So tonight's question is, can a Christian lose their salvation? And can a Christian lose their salvation? And the series is titled, In the Hot Seat. Can a Christian lose their salvation? Now, all summer long, I'm going to answer seven to eight questions that you guys have sent in. And this was by far the second most popular asked question. You forgot what the first one is in the next couple of weeks. But this was one of the most popular questions turned in by college students is, can a Christian lose their salvation. Now, for me, I'll tell you a little bit of my story tonight, but of course, I, a lot of you know I was born and raised right here in Memphis, Tennessee. Went to Bartlett High School, University of Memphis, all the way through. And so I love Memphis, and my heart is, is here in Memphis. And what I desire to see is for college students to come into this ministry and grow to become disciples who are sent out to make more disciples. But to do that, we have to grow in our biblical knowledge to be able to make disciples. If we're not growing our biblical knowledge, what are we teaching those who we are pouring into and discipling? And one of the key things that I found is that there's a lot of questions we have about ministry, about theology, about the Lord. And a lot of times these questions are not addressed in the church. A lot of times we just don't get to these questions. And to be honest with you, when you take a question like, can a Christian lose their salvation? When is the last time you heard a sermon just on that concept? It's probably been a while, right? If you're not in church, you've never probably never heard one. And even if you've been in church, if you think back, it's hard to recall when you've heard sermons on that idea. What I believe, though, when I study the Bible, is that the core foundation of our faith should be our security and our salvation. Shouldn't it? It should be that we are safe and we are secure in our salvation, that we have a place in heaven. You will never understand God's place for you on earth if you don't really feel secure in your place in heaven. And so that's why this question is very important. But I want to flip it on the other side of the coin. There's many of us in here who have spent nights up wondering if we are really saved, if we really are going to heaven, or if we're on the path to going to hell, because we're confused on what it really means to know God. There's many of us in here who may feel more secure in our salvation. Say, hey, I know Jesus personally. I know I know him. I had that encounter where I repented of my sins, confessed that he is Lord and believed in my heart that he died for the sins of the world and rose from the dead. But my question to you is the same that I pose to our leaders. If you are at Kroger or your job or if you're at Panera Bread or if you're on your college campus or if you get home and a family member asks you our question tonight, could you articulate the answer to them? Would you know how to explain it besides just, nah, you can't lose it. <laughs> you good, don't worry about that, you fine. Could you articulate a biblical response as to why they should feel secure in their salvation in Christ. And if not, there's no reason to be embarrassed. There's no reason to feel ashamed that you don't know how you would go about that. Some of you are thinking of some scriptures and thinking about how you would go about that. John 10 probably came to some of your minds. Romans 5 that we're going to look at tonight. But if you don't know, my question is, okay, if that's a core foundation of our belief, knowing we are saved and can't lose it, then when are you and I going to take the steps to prepare so we can tell others the goodness of the gospel? So if you're taking notes, you can write down at the top our question, and that's, can a Christian lose their salvation? And I hope you'll get as excited for me as you can. We open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 5 tonight. Come on, we get excited about 
the word. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at Romans chapter 5. Now we're going to look at the first five verses of Romans chapter 5 in order to answer this question. Now what's very fascinating is I've studied for a few weeks on this sermon is that in 2023, do we really know what a Christian is? In 2023, American Christianity, in our context, in our culture, do we know what a Christian is, what makes a Christian and what doesn't make a Christian? Because I'll be honest with you guys, a lot of times we use the language of Christian, but we have so dumbed down what it actually means to be one. See, me and my wife, I've been married for four and a half years, coming up on five. Her name is Hannah. She's in the back. Can we make some noise for her? Amen. Come on. So... Me and my wife love to travel. Our top three favorite places that we have ever been to is Los Angeles, New York, and Hawaii. We've mainly traveled in the country. So we love the major cities that are in America. And when I first got married, when we planned our first trip, I went to my wife. I said, let's plan a vacation. She said, great, let's do it. And I'll never forget that we were using the same word, vacation, but we have very different meanings, <laughs> All right, I said, let's plan a vacation. I think this will be great. She said, let's do it. This is going to be awesome. And I realized that we were operating with a different meaning behind the term. I said, let's do a vacation. She said, yeah, vacation sounds great. I said, let's do it. And so we get our laptops out. We sit down. We start planning it. And I start realizing that everything she's organizing and putting together is the exact opposite of what I would do. All right, Con, that's what I start realizing. To my wife, I love her to death. My wife's definition of a vacation is this, exploration, discovery, tours, events every day, an itinerary. I don't have an itinerary for my weekends here in Memphis. My definition of a vacation, seven hours on the beach. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? Amen. Come on. And we start planning this. And now here's what I realized. It's very simple. We have the same term, two very different meanings. Here's the danger. When you have the same term but different meanings, you have the same term with different expectations. And when you have the same term with different expectations, when you have the same word with different definitions, somebody ends up hurt and let down. And what I believe in America, what we've done with being a Christian, is we have the same word, but a lot of us are operating with different definitions. See, a lot of us are operating with what we think a Christian should be or what we want a Christian to be and not necessarily grounding it in Scripture, if you will. And just like a vacation, if you think about it, when it comes to following Christ. Following him is not based on your preferences like a vacation. It's based on his call and his commands and his word. So do we know what a Christian is? We've dumbed it down to an Instagram bio. As long as there's a verse there, they must be a Christian, right? <laughs> That's a dangerous game to play. I don't know if you've ever been burned by that. We've dumbed it down to, hey, if you show up to church once a month, then you're a Christian. Like if you just... Pray every once in a while before food, then you're, you're a Christian. You're good to go. You should be fine. As long as you fill one of those seats and go through the motions, then maybe you're a Christian. The Bible says there's so much more to the Christian life. How many of y'all want so much more out of the Christian life than just being a, a seat filler? Can I get an amen? I don't want to fill a seat in the church. I want to use the gifts that God's given me to bring him glory and serve other people. Can I get an amen? Man, I'm telling you, it's okay to make noise in church. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? I'm telling you, man, there's more to the Christian life than just a title or a verse in your bio. And so as we think about this concept, here's what I want to do. As we look at Romans 5, I want to tell you what does not make a Christian. And I want to tell you what does make a Christian. So let's read Romans chapter 5. And I'm going to pray and we're going to jump into it. So this is Romans chapter 5 as Paul writes. 
to the church in Rome, and we're going to talk about the first five verses. Paul says this. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith, look at this, into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But not only that, we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. Verse five says, this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, before I pray, as we talk about salvation, I think we have to reference at the beginning. We're going to reference it twice tonight. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Many of you have memorized these verses, I pray. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, let me find the CSB translation in my notes. It says, for you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's what? Gift. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Amen. Let me pray, and then we're going to jump into number one. Father, we love you, and Lord, we thank you that being a Christian and being a Christ follower is far more than just a title, that it is far more than filling a seat in a church in Memphis, that it is far more than just putting a verse on our social media, but that being a Christian means knowing you the living God, knowing Jesus in a real relational way. And that we get to be secure and that we get to be known and we get to live out a life that makes you known. So Father, I pray over every word that's spoken tonight as we dissect these verses from your word that you would speak clearly to each one of us, not me, but you, Lord, that you would speak clearly and that we would walk away secure in the salvation that we have if we are believers. And Lord, I do pray for those in the room who may not have a personal relationship with you that tonight would be the night that they would give their lives to you. So Father, we love you. And if that's your prayer tonight, would you say amen? Amen. amen. Let me give you number one. What does not make you a Christian? Parentheses. Nor can they give you your identity or fulfillment. I have some sub points that I want to give you. What does not make you a Christian, nor can they give you your identity or fulfillment. Now, at 21 years old, when I gave my life to the Lord and stepped into this church for the first time, I had a lot of questions. And to be honest with you, six to seven years later, I still have a lot of questions. I have a lot more answers than I did six or seven years ago. But I have questions that I want answered from God's word, and that's what's motivated me to do this series to help impart to you what I'm able to find from my study so that you can impart to others. So what does not make you a Christian? The first one I want you to write down is this. A, the clothes you wear. Yeah, thank goodness we got an amen because we live in a very materialistic world. Do we not? Our culture is crazy. And you look at this sub point and you think, man, we're talking about the clothes you wear. Absolutely we're talking about the clothes we wear. The clothes you wear does not make you a Christian. In fact, the clothes you wear don't make you any better or worse than anybody else. But we've confused that. I think there's some damaging things that has happened 
in different cultures over the years when it comes to clothes. See, a few years ago, suit and tie was very popular within the church. Everybody wore a suit and tie, which there's nothing wrong with wearing a suit and tie. I wear suit and ties to weddings all the time. I love it. However, there's a real danger whenever we begin, right, to add in human tradition to say it makes you more Christian or more godly. See, there's a lot of testimonies that have come out of the 80s and the 90s of people who went to church, didn't have a suit and tie, didn't want to dress up the way everybody was dressed, the expectation that was set culturally. And because they didn't feel welcome, they left the church because they didn't feel like they could belong. Not everybody can afford a suit and tie. Not everybody wants to wear a suit and tie. There's nothing wrong with wearing jeans, a jean shirt, jean jacket, if that's your thing. Probably wearing boots with it if you're wearing that set. There's nothing wrong with wearing Jordans. However, there is something wrong when these things become an idol, not just to the individual, but an idol to a group or a culture where you have to wear these things or look this way to fit in. Guys, some of you would hear this and you're like, man, are we really talking about this? Absolutely. I've worked with college students for seven years. Let me tell you, I have watched myself and others immediately look somebody head to toe and make a decision about somebody based on the clothes they're wearing. When I came into the view for the first time, if somebody had judged me based on the clothes I was wearing, I would never be a leader in the church and I'd never be a pastor, that's for sure. Why? It's the old saying that my wife loves because she's an English teacher. You can't judge a book by its what? Cover. You don't know what somebody went through that week when they come in with scraggly clothes, when they ain't got the name brand, when they don't fit the, and there's where it gets dangerous, the Christian culture style that has become so popular on social media and within churches. It's fine for us to wear clothes that we like and to enjoy fashion until it becomes an idol to the individual or to the culture of that group. The day as a view that we say, if somebody walks in and they don't look like everybody else or have the same style as everybody else, we've missed it. Why? Because we're more focused on the outside than we are the inside. See, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are like a cup that is beautiful and clean on the outside, but filthy on the inside. You've missed it. Now, you talk about clothes. I'm going to stay on this for a minute. Because Romans 5, Paul does not say you are justified by your clothes. Why? You cannot justify your sin by the external. You can't do it. You cannot dress up a pig and make it a beautiful princess. You can't do it. It's still a pig. There has to be a justification within the heart. So look at this. John the Baptist had no fashion, yet he prepared a way for the Lord, literally. Says this in Mark chapter 1, verse 6 John wore a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Which is good because that's what we're having for dinner tonight for volleyball. Amen. Yeah, come on, praise the Lord. Y'all wouldn't eat it. No, I'm playing now. John the Baptist had no fashion, prepared the way for the Lord. Not only that, though, when Jesus is talking about the food you eat and the clothes you wear, do you remember what he says in Matthew chapter 6? Do you remember? Let me show you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. He says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body or what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Guys, listen to me. In this, the context of Matthew 6 is that Jesus is talking about the cure to anxiety. Why? Because we worry. We stress. In our culture, there's not many of us. There may be some of us that are worried about our next meal or how we're going to get water. But a lot of us worry about things that are unimportant, that don't matter. But when they become an idol, it's all that matters to us and we miss it. So as foundational, as elementary as I can begin with tonight's sermon, understand this. Your outward clothes 
Don't make you any better or any worse than anybody else. And aren't you grateful that we live in a kingdom where our worth and our value is not based on how we can dress ourselves up. It's based on how our heart is bowed before God. See, I'm telling you, college students, listen, I started with clothes for a reason. If your heart will understand this simple materialistic idea that what you wear really at the end of the day, what people think about what you wear really does not change your worth or your value, what can you not overcome externally? You can be secure in who God has made you to be, and it starts with what you wear. But not only that, number two, let's dig a little deeper. B is the possessions that you obtain. The possessions you obtain. Does not make you a Christian. Doesn't make you any better or any worse. Cannot give you your identity cannot give you fulfillment. There's nothing wrong with wanting a new car. My ignition fell out. I'm still driving it. I'm telling you, man, the other day, listen, listen, man, my dad's a mechanic. The cap came off my ignition. I showed my dad, God bless you. I showed my dad. I still cranked the car. He said, ah, buddy, you're good. <laughs> Just keep driving it. My dad's old-fashioned. But I can take the ignition out when I pull my key out, and it's just sitting on my key. What starts the car? The other day, I got back in my car. I looked. The ignition was gone. I'm looking under the seat. I'm looking all around my car. I can't find it. It's underneath my car in the parking lot. My ignition. Just start the car. <laughs> car trouble, boy. I tell you, it's something different. I want a new car. I understand the struggle. Ain't nothing wrong with wanting a new car. Ain't nothing wrong with wanting a new house. Ain't nothing wrong with wanting to gain possessions. However, for human beings, boy, does that become an idol or what? You tell me, does it? And everything you see on social media is highlighting what people in our society have been able to obtain. Here's what scripture says, though. Scripture gives very clear warnings on this. And I want you to understand very clearly this. Matthew 6, 19 to 21, just before Jesus talked about the cure to anxiety, he says this. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Don't we oftentimes miss the souls around us because we're more focused on what we can obtain in this world? Doesn't make you any better or any worse. Doesn't make you a Christian. Can't get you into heaven. Not only that, See the career you lead. I've talked about this many times. We are in a pivotal season in our life where from 18 to 25, we're deciding what we are going to do for the rest of our life. Some of us in here have a call to full-time vocational ministry. Praise the Lord for that. Some of us in here know we're going to work within the church and serve the church full-time. We know that's our calling. Some of us have a call to business and to nursing and to engineering and to all the things in the world that are going to be used to bring 100% glory to God, all of us are called to full-time ministry, may not be full-time ministry within the church. Full-time engineers who are on mission, full-time nurses who are on mission, your career is important. And I love having these conversations. One of the questions we'll answer is, can you mess up God's will for your life? I love having these questions with college students every, week's, every week on career and God's will and God's purpose and your calling because I see so many college students who are so eager to figure out what God wants them to do. The dangerous thing here, though, is that sometimes we desire God's calling for our lives more than we desire God's character 
in our lives. And that's not in my notes. That's for free. I haven't said that in a long time. Sometimes we want God to just tell us his call, but we really don't want to grow in his character. We just want him to tell us what we're supposed to do so we can put an answer on the page so our advisor will quit bugging us, so our mom will stop calling us asking, what are we going to do with our life? I've been there. My mom's in the back. She knows. Instead of pursuing God. Now, when that happens, it becomes an idol. All of a sudden, what we can do for God becomes more important than who God is and who we are in Christ. Isn't it amazing? Like, as you look through these things, each one of you, if we were having a one-on-one question, I said, hey, do you think the career you lead one day makes you a Christian? You would tell me, no, of course not. But what about the parentheses? Can a career give you your identity? Most of us would say, like, no, no, I can't. it can't do that. And then I would follow up by asking you the same way my mentors have asked me. So are you living as if your career can validate you? Or do you have all your validation you need in Christ? And your career is just a bonus to bring him glory and have fun in your life. Let's be honest in church. Most of us in this room are looking, even Christians, are looking for our identity. And sometimes we wander off the path and we start thinking we can find it in what we do which goes against everything scripture teaches from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that if it was by grace you were saved through faith, would you trust God in faith with your calling? If you can trust him with your salvation, can you trust him with your job, with your career? And now these things don't become something you're looking for to fulfill you or give you your identity. Those are both grounded in Christ and everything else he blesses you with is just a blessing on top of that. The career you lead doesn't make you any better. Or any worse. I love these verses from James chapter 4. You can write this reference down. It's James 4, verses 13 to 17. James says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Verse 14 says, You do not know what tomorrow will bring or what your life will be. For you are like vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now, verse 15 is so good. James says, Instead, you should say this if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Colossians, is that your mindset? Is it mine? I mean, really, do we come to God and say, hey, have whatever way you want. I'm an open book. Or do you and me bring our plans and our schemes and our ideas, tell them to God, and then just ask him to bless them? Sometimes we are more prone, myself included, to ask God to bless our plans instead of us asking him for the plan. I'll be honest, even if God blesses my plan, his plan's better anyway because he is all-knowing. He is above the universe and he is my Lord. Is he your Lord? Not only that, and this is a big one, a big one. As you can look, can we go back to our list? These have been building. Each one gets a little bit more crucial, especially where you are in your season of life. Now, let me talk about this one because you'll never get away from this one. D, the family you're born into. Woo! Don't talk about family in church. It's tense, isn't it? It gets dicey. Start talking about family. Hold on now. Daniel keeps talking about his mom's there every Monday night. Gets dicey when you start talking about family. I'll never forget. I'll share this with you very briefly. 
I had a college student four years ago at our old building. She came up to me. Her family was in a tough, I mean, tough time. I, I was very close with her. My wife was very close with her. She came up to me. She, she started shedding tears. She said, my family is a mess. She was one of our leaders, loved God, full of the Holy Spirit. I mean, the, the radiance of the Lord was just shining through this girl. She was a leader. And she came up to me. She said, the Lord is not moving in my family. She said that to me. She said, I am telling you, I don't see God <clears throat> anywhere in my family. Anywhere. And I can remember talking to her, sitting across from her in this moment. I remember thinking, and as a pastor, you don't want to think this. I remember thinking, what in the world am I going to tell this girl to encourage her? That's, that's hard. She's been ministering to her family for five years. There ain't no easy little quick little answer, one one-liner that's going to make her feel good. So what do I do? I got to go back to truth. And I kid you not, the Holy Spirit laid this on my heart, and I have never forgotten it because I've needed it in my life, and I hope that you remember this. This is what I told this girl in this moment. I said, listen to me. Even though you don't see God in any of their lives, as long as you are there, he is in their life. Through you. I told her, you're not getting out of the family. It's what you were born into. It's what you got. So is it possible that God put you right there to be maybe the only light of Christ they see? So I don't know what kind of family you've been born into. I know what kind of family Joseph was born into in Genesis. It was dysfunction everywhere, wasn't it? Brothers sold him into, a, sold him into slavery after throwing him into a pit. 13 years later, he has to forgive him, weeping about it, crying over it. He has to forgive his brothers. They bring his dad to him and know what dysfunctional family Joseph was born into. And we see God move through Joseph. What's your family like? Let me speak into this for a moment with you. And I, I wrote some things down. I want to make sure not to mess this up. I want to be very clear with this part. There is no such thing as being a Christian since birth. There is no such thing as saying, I've been a Christian my whole life. That statement does not make sense. I've heard many college students say it to me. You cannot be a Christian your entire life, maybe the vast majority of your life, if you got saved at seven or six or nine. But to be a Christian, there must be a moment that you are reborn into the family of God. There must be a moment where your only family is not just your earthly family, but you are born and adopted into the, the, the family of God. And that decision is what we talked about when Devon was being baptized. It's repenting of your sins. It's believing in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confessing him as Lord. When you do that, you are reborn. Do you remember Nicodemus? Do you remember John chapter 3? And if you are ever talking to somebody about salvation, Nicodemus, John chapter 3 is a fantastic place to go. I'll show this to you on the screen. In John chapter 3, here's the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Look at this. It's on the screen. This man, that being Nicodemus, came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform these signs <clears throat> you do unless God were with them. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? And then in this chapter, Jesus says to him, the verse that we memorize when we're children, John 3, 16, says, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son 
so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. See, if you were born into, let's take two examples, a Christian family or a non-Christian family, neither one of those determine if you know Jesus as your Savior. You cannot live your faith based on your mom's faith. You cannot live your faith based on your dad's faith. You can't. Your siblings, just because they know God, doesn't mean you know God. Because it's personal. Nobody else can have a relationship for you with God. Only you can have it. My dad's a mechanic. People talk about him all the time. Just because I hear people talk about my dad doesn't mean I'm actually talking to him and know him personally. Just because you hear people talk about God all the time doesn't mean you really know him personally. That's a core thing with salvation. So now take that and hear this. If you were born into a Christian family, then praise God. Praise the Lord that you were put in a situation like that. Have you had that moment along the way in your life? And then if you haven't, if you are in this room and your family does not know God, I'm telling you, there is no power on this earth that can change generations like the power of the Holy Spirit. Community service can't do it. Culture can't do it. Celebrities can't do it. Sports can't do it. Money can't do it. Nothing can change the trajectory of a family more than you getting on fire for Jesus and taking that gospel back to them. Don't get discouraged. Don't Grow weary. Don't quit praying. If your family doesn't know Jesus, I exhort you and I urge you to pray for them as long as you have breath in your lungs. Pray for them. And man, I know sermons like this, every single time I talk about family, God does something really cool. Like, don't stop praying. If this gives you two more weeks of energy to keep on praying and more hope to keep on praying, don't quit praying for your family. And understand that they can come to know Jesus in the same way that you can. The next one on the list, oh, I got two more, is the friends you run with. The friends you run with. You can tell I'm from Memphis. The friends you run with can't make you a Christian. Can't make you any better or worse. However, there's one thing that we say at The View every week. Just because a community is a Christian community doesn't mean it's a godly community. Can I get an amen? amen. There is a difference between a Christian community and a real godly community. A godly community will always be a Christian community. A Christian community does not necessarily always become a godly community. So the people you run with, do they build you up or do they tear you down? I'm serious, man. I've seen friend groups along the years just take people and make them feel awful about themselves. And sometimes it's Christians and it's just sarcasm. Sarcasm's a dangerous thing, ain't it? Sarcasm, boy, I tell you, the way we use our words is a dangerous thing. Scripture talks all about our words. Psalm 34, 13 says, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. So your friends, as awesome as they are, as incredible as they are, cannot make you any better or any worse than anybody else. And they cannot determine if you know Jesus, just because you have Christian friends doesn't make you any better than anybody else. I love this. I've never forgotten this before, man. Dakota Tucker's going to come up here. Can y'all make some noise for Dakota Tucker tonight? 
Oh, man. Dakota Tucker has been working with me. How long have you been working with me, Dakota? Almost four years, boss. Thanks for saying boss. I appreciate that respect in front of the crowd. Dakota, you look good, man. I love Dakota because Dakota is very strong. Last year, he got to the point where he was bench pressing 405 pounds, which is amazing. I didn't tell you to sit. <laughs> what you doing? Come on, man. Come on, man. Dakota's a good friend of mine. I'll never forget. I love this. It's so simple, but it's so goofy. I love doing this. I'm telling you, I think it's so fun. Dakota, I want you to do something. Stand up on the chair, man. Yeah, be careful. <laughs> be careful now, but stand up on the chair, man. You had a quesadilla. <laughs> Stand up on the chair, man. Careful now. This chair going to have to. <laughs> I'm going to sit on the edges. Uh, be careful now. Be careful now. Now, I love to cut it. Now, is it true you, you last year bench pressed 405 pounds? Yes, sir. Reagan Wood and Cody Ashmore were there. That's great. So you're, you're pretty strong. Pull me up on the chair. By your arm? Pull me up on the chair. Bro, I'm not that heavy. I've been working out. Come on. I've been walking every day. Pull me up on the chair, man. All right, man. All right. Pull me up on the chair, man. It's embarrassing. I will. So it's hard to pull me up, ain't it? Yes, sir. Come on down. <laughs> Come on down. You all right? You good? Yeah, I'm good, boss. Not amazing. I never forget this. Brother Steve is the one that said this. I saw it one time. I love it. It's a whole lot easier, no matter how strong you are, to pull somebody down than it is to pull them up. This dude... All the weights can't pull me up on the chair. For me, no weights. <laughs> pull him down in half a second. Guys, understand this about the friends you run with. In your sanctification, you become like Christ. It is hard, hard to pull people up. But it's really easy to pull people down. The community that you run with is affecting your spiritual health. Who are you surrounded with? And are they helping you grow in godliness? Can we thank Dakota? Amen. Thanks, Dakota. Come on. Now, the last one I have is this on the screen. I don't know what letter it was. I'm going to just put this up. Works. All this has been building to this fundamental truth that works don't make you a Christian. Faith is what makes you a Christian. Works show you are a Christian. Where does it say this in the Bible? Let's look, and then we're going to put this back on the screen. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, let us read it again. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one may boast. Salvation cannot come from your works. Validation cannot come from your works. They come from the work of Christ on the cross. Now, works do matter, though, because James says this in 2, verse 18. Some of you know the whole chapter. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works Show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. All of this that we have talked about, clothes, houses, careers, family, friends, great things, I love them, they don't save you. Going to church, serving your community, being nice to people, great things, but they don't save you. Being on a volunteer team, being on staff at a church, preaching doesn't save you. Having a great social media platform doesn't save you. Following tradition doesn't save you. Following church tradition doesn't save you. Following your family's tradition doesn't save you. The only thing that saves you is what Christ did, not what you do. That's foundational. Salvation is based on your faith and your repentance and what Christ did on the cross and the way God looks at you. You are right in his eyes because of Jesus 
Christ. Now, here's my question, especially to those who are believers for a long time. And I wrote it down. I, I believe that this will come on the screen. If these things couldn't save you, why do you run to them to validate you? That internship, it's a great thing. It's a bad God, a really bad God, right? That internship you want, that job you want after college is probably a great job. It's a really, really terrible God. The statues in the Old Testament probably looked great. They were terrible gods. Why? Because they were dead. The statues couldn't move, weren't alive. Your friends, praise the Lord for them. They're great friends. They don't make a good God. Your boyfriend, your girlfriend, praise the Lord for them. You're going to put the pressure of them to validate you? Are you really going to put pressure on another human being of the opposite sex to give you your validation and your affirmation for who you are? You say, Daniel, I don't do that. Then why are we so desperate to escape singleness in the church? Why? Marriage is a great thing. Praise the Lord for it doesn't give you any more validation or affirmation for who you are. Not nothing, not a friendship can't. A boss can't. Money, a check, can't do it. If these things didn't save you, why do we run to them for validation? You say, Daniel, I don't do that. I would challenge you. All of us, in some form or fashion, have areas in our lives where we maybe are not calling on these things to save us, but we sure are calling on them for too much. So here's my challenge to you at the start of the summer. Is there anything in your life, any person, any aspect of your life that you are calling on too much instead of the Lord? Now, let's look at Romans 5 one more time, and I'm going to give you the last part of our sermon. Romans 5 once again said this tonight. It says, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus we have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So if you're taking notes, I hope that you'll write this down. Number two, what makes you a Christian? What makes you a Christian? And is it evident in your public and private life? What makes you a Christian? And then we're going to nail down our answer tonight to this question and how we would take it to somebody else. So the first thing is, A, a Christian is justified. Scripture uses legal terms, uses terms like justification to show what was done for us on the cross. Scripture says we have been declared righteous, meaning we are justified in God's eyes because when Christ was tortured, when Christ was beaten, when Christ was nailed to the cross, he in that moment took on every sin you've ever had. See, that sin that keeps you up at night, he died for it. That sin that makes you sometimes wonder, man, do I really know God? He died for it. He paid the penalty. And here's the great thing, DJ. When you put your faith in him, in his sacrifice, since you can't do it, nothing you do makes you good enough. Nothing you do gives you your worth or your value. It's in Christ. When you put your faith in him and what he did, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. You are justified. Some of the verses that I love when you're talking about being justified 
is 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. Do we have that verse? Can we put that verse on the screen? 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8 says this, And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. You cannot be justified without receiving the grace of God. Have your parents ever shown you grace in your life? Has your boss or your professor, when you mess up on an exam, ever showed you grace in your life? Have you ever messed up with a friend? Said something you shouldn't have? Gotten angry? Said something about them? And they showed you grace? They, they forgive you? See, we, we normally think of grace as God kind of letting me out of something. Like, oh, I, I got grace from God. I escaped, you know, this punishment or I escaped this trial. But grace is not just what you're saved from, right? It's God empowering you for Grace is not just God saving you from, it's him empowering you for. See, grace gives you power. Now, Tony Evans is a wordsmith, and I love this in one of the books I'm reading. I'll put this on the screen. You can take a picture of it if you want. He said this when he was talking about grace. He said, if you went to buy a car and the salesman told you that you either had to push the car everywhere you went or pay extra for an engine, what would you think? You would know something is wrong because cars come equipped with their own supply of power to get you where you're going. The engine is part of the purchase price of the car. You do have a responsibility to turn on the ignition and steer. And I love this line. But your effort does not supply the power for the trip. When I see so many Christians failing in their Christian life, living defeated lives day after day, it shows they push their Christian lives forward. They do not realize that the power for the Christian life is under the hood. <laughs> the power is the grace of God which is an inexhaustible supply. Aren't you grateful for that truth tonight? Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I wrote this down. This is one of the last things God gave me as I was studying for this sermon that I believe is crucial for us. And it says this. It'll be on the screen. What stops you from living dependent on God is the belief that you haven't been fully forgiven by God. I don't know if there's anything that can stop a Christian in their tracks quicker from being dependent on God if you don't really believe you've been forgiven by God. When you repent, when you turn from your life, when you call out on God, you receive this free gift of salvation. So salvation is not something we can achieve or earn. Let's recap as we land this thing right here. And I, hope, I pray you take this home with you this week. You can't earn it. You can't do it. There's nothing you do that makes you a Christian. It's your personal, intimate relationship with him. It's your faith. You can't do it. You can't earn it. What a Christian really is, is justified in God's sight, right? You have sin. You have a payment. You're justified because of what Christ did on the cross when you put your faith in him. So you are made right. Now, right here is where we end up at our question. Can you lose your salvation? Can a Christian lose their salvation? You've done away with idols like cars and houses and friendships and careers and relationships. You've done away with that. You said, hey, God is my God. I repent. Jesus is my Lord. You're living for him. You have salvation. Can you lose it? B, a Christian is sealed. Not only is a Christian justified, but B, a Christian is sealed. I think that one will come on the screen in just a minute for you to write down. A Christian is sealed.
What is a Christian? A Christian is a person who has repented of their sins and knows Jesus in a personal, living way. Believes he rose from the dead. Can you unbecome a Christian? Is there a reverse card? Now, Scripture speaks directly on this. And one of the most empowering verses on this is Ephesians chapter 1. If you'll turn to the screen, Ephesians 1.13 says this. In him, in Christ, you also were sealed. Everybody say sealed. Sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you what? Believed. At the moment, look at me right here. At the moment that a person places their faith in Christ, you're sealed. I've done a lot of weddings now. I've done probably a lot, relative. I've done probably almost 10 weddings now. Every time I do a wedding, I do the same thing after the wedding. I go to the back room, and I sign a marriage license. Some couples are better than others about it. Some have completely forgotten about it and don't really know what it was, forgot they picked it up. And some are like, hey, can you sign this, like, as we say I do up at the altar? You know, can I, like, I do, and, like, slip it to me and let me sign it right there. Every time I take that pen and I, I sign my name, saying that they have just become one as a married couple. I take that marriage license in front of the couple and I put it in the envelope and I seal it so that it's not reopened. It's going back exactly where it needs to go. Why? Because that marriage license is valuable. You seal something when it's valuable. You seal it so that it's secure, so that it's locked, so that other people are not to break the seal, only the ones who are supposed to. That seal can't be broken because that marriage license is crucial. God views his relationship with you with the same value. If not, why would he seal you? But not just that, college students. Let me tell you, he sealed you with the most powerful presence there is. His presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit has sealed and secured you. That that seal can't be broken. That's why you are secure. That's why when you go to bed at night, you don't have to wonder. If you're a Christian, that's why you don't have to wonder, man, am I going to mess up tomorrow and go to hell? Nope. God never intended for you to live like that because that's a scale. Maybe I'll do more good than bad today, and I'll be in right standing with God. Now, can sin hurt your fellowship with God? Absolutely it does. It hurts your fellowship with God. It hurts your fellowship with people. It sets you back. It's damaging. But your sin as a believer, as you struggle with sin, cannot, and this is crucial, break the seal of the Holy Spirit. When you are saved, you are saved. You say, Daniel, how do you know? If it's not just that, I'll tell you. John 10. John 10, Jesus speaks to this. He says this in verse 29. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Why? Because when you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, when you're sealed with God's right hand, the devil cannot pull you out. The devil cannot break the seal. The devil cannot break God's hand. Your friends, even if they betray you or leave you, they can't break the safety and security and seal that God through the Holy Spirit has placed on you as a believer. And when you believe that, hear me, when you have that security in your life, when you know that you know that you have a place in heaven, a room in heaven, a home in heaven, not because of what you do, but because of what Christ did, when you know your place in heaven, I promise you, you'll find your place in this world. 
But too many times we're looking for our place in this world, neglecting our place in heaven. Do you know? Do you know? What's amazing, scripture says when you receive salvation, imagine receiving a gift. You know what, Lauren, one of the primary things are that come with it when you receive that gift of salvation? Watch this. Peace. Everybody say peace. Peace. You receive peace. You know why? Because you're not worried about losing God. What I want to pose to you is if the question, if the answer to the question tonight was yes, if you could lose your salvation, if you could mess it up, that would contradict God's promise of peace. Because that's a guessing game. That's works. That's, that means the burden's on you. That means you got to do it. Because if you lose it, if you can lose it, that means you can earn it. And God's love is not to be earned. Through his son, he loves you so much, he died on the cross for your sins and for mine. And when you know him in your heart, you are safe, you are sealed, you are secure, and that's why you have peace. It would be a disrespect to God. It would be dishonoring to God to say that the seal he's placed on you as a believer could be broken by whatever you're worried about in your life. And some of you would hear this and you would say, Daniel, I know I'm sealed by God and I know I'm going to heaven. And praise God, that's good. Does it change anything about the way you live? That's my last application. That's as applicational as I'm going to hit you with right now. If you really know you're going to heaven, does it change the way you do ministry? Like if you're relying on him for heaven, are you relying on him in this earth? Are you doing your own thing, asking him to bless it? I mean, seriously, I do it. We do it. We bring our stuff to him and ask him to bless it. Or are you fully dependent on him? I believe I have one more scripture. I'll give it to you at the very end. I have two more things, but these are for your outline, and these will be covered later in the series. Not only that, but see... A Christian is being sanctified. That in every step of your life, you're becoming more like Jesus. You're becoming more like God's son. He is making you more like him. And then D, a Christian will be glorifying. What these two mean is that as we live our earthly lives, God is through endurance, through perseverance, through trial, God is shaping and refining us to be like Jesus. And then when you are glorified, that is when you get to heaven and it is complete and the presence of sin is gone and the presence of misery is gone and the presence of pain is gone and you are fully glorified in God's presence for all eternity as a believer. And aren't you grateful for that? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now let me ask you this. This sermon is crucial. I want you, I'm asking you to take a picture of this or write it down because every week we can answer these questions. I'm going to sum it up with an answer at the end. Here's our biblical answer, and it'll be on the screen. It says this. You can take a picture of it. You cannot earn salvation, and you cannot lose salvation. Salvation is a gift from Christ that comes through faith and brings eternal peace and security. If there is potential to lose it, and there is no peace with God. I see many of you taking photos. I appreciate you doing that. I hope that this continues to help you all summer. Here's where we land with our biblical answer from Romans 5 and Ephesians chapter 2.